Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And with that said, episode 222, let's get it. Yes. Crack. Yeah. Scat star jump. Oh, dirty. Crack. Come on. It's two up in the morning, girl, and the DJ playing that song. Now what you gonna do? What you gonna do? American Express card, mommy, you can get whatever you like. Plus, I got that all black phantom, it's tinted to four sides. Get all right, we're back. Episode 222. Quick turnaround from episode 221. It's for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network with yours truly. ATH back in the saddle, back in the mic, and we are one step closer to NFL season kicking off. We obviously talked about the AFC, Pats, Jets. This episode, I'm sure you can guess, we're going to be previewing the NFC and my New York Giants. We're going to get to a recurring guest. I'm sure you all know who it is. We can get to him in a little bit. But a couple of things of note. U.S. Open starts today. Exciting. Novak Djokovic plays the first night match. I mentioned the match in Cincinnati against Carlos Alcaraz. Obviously looking forward to taking care of business. By the way, the men's tennis field... A lot of good young American players. Now, do I think whether it's Taylor Fritz or Francis Tiafo, are any of those guys going to really break through and win the whole thing? I'm not 100% sure. Probably not because Novak is still a monster. Alcaraz is still a monster. Medvedev has won this tournament before. Those are obviously the, the three favorites. Not in that order, but those are the three favorites. But it's exciting to see men's tennis being up on the rise a little bit, especially in the United States. A lot of good young players in the U.S. It it may take about five years for one of them to break through and actually win a major, but I actually think part of this crop can do it in a couple of years. Sad to see my guy Nick Kyrgios out with an injury. It's a bummer. I, I absolutely love that guy, but the U.S. Open is going to be fun to watch. I look forward to watching Novak tonight at the time of this recording, because we're recording on a Monday evening. And Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo already took care of business in their opening round. Ratch, good stuff from them. Okay, so we had a major trade in the NFL. Well, not a major trade, but a trade of note. Quarterback Trey Lance, who was taken with the third overall pick just two years ago, was traded to the Dallas Cowboys for a fourth round pick. 
This is a guy in Trey Lance where the 49ers traded three first-round picks to move up from 12 to 3 in the draft to take him. This has to be, I think, the worst trade in NFL history. Given what they gave up to get him and the draft capital that was necessary to move up to take him. And then, listen to the guys who went after Trey Lance at 3. Kyle Pitts is going to be really good. Jamar Chase, already really good. Jalen Waddell, really good. Panay Sewell, really good. J.C. Horn, potential to be very good. Patrick Sertan, already very good. Devonta Smith, already very good. Justin Fields is a bit of a question mark. Micah Parsons, already really good. Rashad Slater, already really good. Elijah Vera Tucker, already very good. I mean, come on. I, look at the depth of guys after pick three. That's just going straight down the line in order from four to 14. And yes, I know Zach Wilson was taken too. That doesn't look great. But the Jets didn't trade three picks to move up to take Zach Wilson. I mean, this is an outright disaster. If you say Jamarcus Russell was worse because Calvin Johnson and Joe Thomas followed and Adrian Peterson was in that first round, I, I get it. But for there to be so many guys who are going to be awesome or who are already awesome to be taken immediately after this guy. And yeah, he got hurt, but come on. This is a mess. And normally a trade like this, a draft blunder, would sink a franchise for five to six years. And the 49ers don't miss a beat. Yeah, Brock Purdy fell into their lap. Fell into their lap. I mean, he's a gift from the heavens for the 49ers. But the 49ers are one of the two best teams in the NFC. And you could easily make a case for them being the best team in the NFC and the favorite to go to the Super Bowl from the NFC. Absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. But yeah, fourth round pick to the Dallas Cowboys. For the Cowboys, I guess it's worth a flyer. Wild. Absolutely wild. The Trey Lance era never really got a chance, but I mean, he was going to be the third string quarterback. The 49ers basically saw enough in practice to say that Sam Darnold was better than him. It's not great. Absolutely not great. Alright, switching gears to uh, a little bit of basketball. I know I wasn't going to talk about the FIBA tournament that much, but I've been watching a little bit more FIBA than I anticipated. I've been watching Team USA a lot, and they had a nice win today uh, against Greece. Greece, traditionally a powerhouse, but I'm not sure this Greece team is as strong as in years past. Obviously, Giannis Antetokounmpo did not play. USA got a 20-point win couple of things stand out. One, Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram, like, what does he do well? I know a lot of people talk about Brandon Ingram like he's some superstar on the rise. Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer absolutely loves Brandon Ingram. He loves his, his ability to score in isolation, loves his playmaking. First of all, I don't see a guy who likes to pass the ball that much at all. I don't see a guy who tries a whole heck of a lot on defense. I, I just... I don't see any real elite skills. No elite skills. I mean, this is a guy that they were talking about being the second coming of Kevin Durant or Kevin Durant Light. Like, what does he do on this team? If you look at these rankings over here in terms of efficiency rankings, I'm going to pull it up in a second, so just bear with me. If you look at the 
best players on the team. Brandon Ingram, who starts, according to this metric and player rating, is second to last, only above Walker Kessler, who barely gets any run. Bobby Portis doesn't get a lot of minutes, is six points ahead of him. Cam Johnson's ahead of him. Everybody's ahead of him except for Walker Kessler, and he still starts. I don't get the Brandon Ingram thing. I'm out. I don't think he's ever going to be more than a third option on a really good team. Like anybody who thinks he's a superstar, I'm just out. I, you and I will, could argue till the cows come home, and it won't be a good argument because I'm going to win it. I, I don't see it. I absolutely don't see it. I mean, the other guy on the flip side that has been ultra impressive is Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves, who does not start for this team, ranks first in player rating, according to this metric that I saw on Twitter, at 27.06. For reference, Brandon Ingram is 4.53. That means Austin Reeves is ahead of their best player, Anthony Edwards, by close to 10 points. He's ahead of Mikael Bridges, who starts. He's ahead of Jalen Brunson, who starts. He's ahead of Tyrese Halliburton, who's been really good off the bench. He's ahead of Paolo Bencaro, who's ranked second, who's also been super impressive off the bench. Austin Reeves right now, according to this rating, is the highest rated player on Team USA. In their game before today, Austin Reeves led the team with a team high plus minus. And again, plus minus is not a perfect stat, but you get the point. When it's that drastic, it means something. He's been ultra-impressive. Ultra, ultra-impressive. He has elite-level elite skills. He shoots the ball above average. He can shoot off the bounce. He can shoot off the catch. He's a very good passer. He's crafty as a playmaker. I tweeted today, this morning, I was like, Austin Reeves, and I know Knicks fans are not going to want to hear this, Austin Reeves right now is a Better player than R.J. Barrett, I think it's by a significant margin, too. R.J. has had nice moments in this FIBA tournament, but just watch Austin Reeves and watch R.J. Barrett and watch how much smoother Austin Reeves is, how much easier it is for him. And don't tell me that R.J. Barrett is playing with less talent because Canada's probably the second-best team in the tournament, and he's playing alongside the best player in the tournament so far in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Austin Reeves is, is really tremendous. And his contract that he signed, four years, $56 million extension, is an absolute bargain. That's one of the five best contracts in pro sports. And two of the other five best contracts in pro sports are probably on this Team USA team also, in Jalen Brunson's contract and Mikhail Bridges' contract. I can't believe how impressed I am with Austin Reeves. Tremendous. Now, would you rather pay Austin Reeves about $13 million a year, or would you rather pay R.J. Barrett 30 Even if their contracts were equal, I'd rather pay Austin Reeves. And of course, he has to be a member of the Los Angeles Lakers, because of course. So I have to despise him, but ultra, ultra impressive. And one last thing in basketball news, Mark Stein reported that Giannis Antetokounmpo would be interested in the Knicks and possibly the Lakers when his contract is up. Giannis said he's not signing the extension 
immediately because he wants to make sure that everybody in the organization is on the same page when it comes to winning. Now, I can't do this right now, Mark Stein. I can't do this. I can't have this crap floated. And it's been floated out there a little bit. I am not emotionally ready for these rumors yet. I can't do it. I can't allow myself to go there. Because it's only something I would dream about every single day until he makes a decision. I can't go there. And yes, if he's ever signed with the Lakers, the ATH Giannis bromance, I know it's very one-sided, would probably be over. But I can't go there, Mark Stein. Enough with this. I don't want to hear it right now. I don't want to hear it. Can't handle it. It's too much. It's too much for me emotionally. Anyway, with that said, we are going to bring on a recurring guest to talk about the NFC and uh, preview the Giants season. A bit of a longer monologue this week than last week, but we're gearing up the football season. I'm excited as a Giants fan. I'm more excited than I've been in a long time. We're going to get to that recurring guest in just a matter of moments. So this past episode, we did the AFC. Now it's time to talk about my beloved New York Giants and previewing the NFC with a recurring guest. I am sure you know who it is. It's somebody who's been licking his chops for this Giants season for a long time. None other than Mr. Shy Elberger. Shy, we're back. It's time. This is the first ever season preview episode where we've actually had expectations for the Giants. It is, because remember last year, last year was the first ever episode we recorded after the Giants went 1-0 to start the year. So they, we're, uh, we're riding high right now. That's right. And I, I remember last year their win total was 7.5. And, and we both didn't think, we both thought under, but I remember making, you made me make the case for over 7.5. And, and now we may have to do the same thing this year. Well, we'll get to that because that's one of my stone-cold locks. So, right now, I am drinking the Kool-Aid. I am all in. I am more in on a team to start the year than I've been in a long time. Where's your head at right now with the Giants? I I think every Giants fan thinks they're going to be better than what the public says. And I know, like, I don't know any Giants fan that is like, yeah, I see under seven and a half wins. It's going to go over. Um, but I think we just have so much faith in, like, Dable, and we've watched this team be so bad and then be so much better last year. And it's like, you know, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic they should compete again for a playoff spot. I want them to make the playoffs. That is my goal. It's not like last year they won a playoff game, so this year they have to get to the NFC Championship. I want to see this year's schedule. We'll get into it. It is a lot harder than last year's. Um, you know, they had some injuries last year, but Jones and Saquon played every game of the season besides the last meaningless game, which had never happened before. Dexter Lawrence played every game. Like, Andrew Thomas played every game. So they're basically like top five players played every game. Now, they had other injuries, save with Kinney, Williams, all the receivers, Evan Neal, uh, Thibodeau missed the first couple weeks. Um, but I just think a lot of things did go right last year. Uh, close wins and... and uh, they were very good in one-score games. One-score games. The red zone defense was really good. Um, 
But they have added to the overall talent on this team a lot. I think more than the non-Giants fan thinks. And so I'm optimistic. Like, week one is going to really, not that it determines the season, obviously, but it's going to be a real good measuring stick right away. You know, if we home Sunday night against Dallas, if the Giants lose, it's like, all right, they still can't beat Dallas. They still haven't beaten Philly. Like, the Dallas pass rush is an issue every single game. But if they win, if they get to week one, 1-0 again, they beat Dallas, primetime game, it's like, okay, maybe we do have something here we can build on. Call me crazy, but, and again, I I preface this by I'm drinking the Kool-Aid right now. I I liked what I've read. I haven't read that much, but I liked what I've read. I've liked what I've seen in terms of clips. Why aren't the Giants the third or fourth best team in the NFC? The NFC is not particularly good outside of the NFC East. So why aren't they, you know... Maybe the third best team in the conference. So I think there's a couple of things. One is we ha- they haven't been good for the last several years. Even last year, it was kind of like an under-the-radar, you know, what do they do on national TV, really, that gets anyone's opinion. It's they beat Washington, and they won a playoff game at Minnesota, but then they got crushed by the Eagles. So I think if you look at the NFC, you obviously put the Eagles ahead of them. You obviously put the Niners ahead of them. And then if you're just, like, looking at last year, Seattle beat them. Detroit beat them pretty handedly. The Dallas swept them. So it's like, have the Giants gotten better? Yes. But, like, why hasn't Seattle gotten better? Detroit's gotten better. Dallas, you might think they're not better or worse, but, like, they added Brandon Cooks. They added Stephen Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore. Yep. So it's like, until they beat Dallas, they're not – I can't say they're better than Dallas. Could they end up the season better than them? Sure. But, like, right now I have Philly, Dallas, San Francisco, and then they didn't beat Seattle and they didn't beat Detroit last year. Now they play Seattle this year, so they'll have, uh, you know, be able to maybe rectify that. But until they beat those other teams, they're not – I can't say that they're better. So what have you been reading about – the wide receiver room for the Giants right now. I know that's a a position where there's a lot of dudes, but nobody really stands out. Obviously, they brought in Darren Waller from the Raiders. He looks like he's has great chemistry with Jones. If he stays healthy, which has been his bugaboo lately, he looks like he can be, you know, an elite tight end. Like I'm talking like the the second best fantasy tight end in terms of stats behind Kelsey. The wide receiver room, though, not a whole heck of a lot on the outside in terms of names. What are you reading about this uh, position right now with the team? So I think when it comes down to the first question you asked, um, like how are we feeling about the Giants and talking about the outside perception, like I've had friends uh, conversations with friends where I'm like, the offense is going to be so much better. And they'll be like, aside from Waller, like what else do they do at wide receiver? And, like, you just don't understand. You really look back at last year, who they were playing with. You know, Darius Slayton didn't, was a healthy scratch. He wasn't playing until, like, week five. Isaiah Hodgins was a mid Well, and then he was their best receiver when he could hold on to the ball. So there were, there were games last year where the Giants were starting David Sills and Marcus Johnson and 
you know, these scrubs. I can't even remember all the names. And then, like, by the end of the season, it's Darius Slayton is our number one receiver. Isaiah Hodgins was a mid-season waiver pickup that, you know, looked pretty good. But, you know, what is he? He had a, you know, he had a nice eight-game stretch. And then their third receiver is, uh, you know, Wondell Robinson towards ACL. So they're playing with, with real nothing. And then Bellinger, who's serviceable at tight end. To add Waller, who I, I do agree is going to have a monster season. But maybe not yardage-wise, maybe not touchdown-wise, but he's going to lead the team in targets. And the preseason drive that he got really just confirmed that. But then that receiver, so now you still have Darius Slayton. You had Paris Campbell, who is a fast guy. He's, he's good. He's not great. He's not very good even, but he's better than average. You add uh, you know, Isaiah Hodgins now is now another year into his career, you know, another year at Dable. You know, people do get better. And then you draft Jalen Hyatt in the third round. He looks like he has a speed element. that the A lot of buzz about him. A lot of buzz. He's not going to be an every-down player. He may only have you know 30 catches this season, but he's, his catches are going to be meaningful. Um, and then, so in terms of how it's going to shake out, you have, um, you have Slayton, Paris Campbell, Isaiah Hodgins. They're going to get the most snaps. Jalen Hyatt will rotate in. Wondell Robinson, I think, is going to be coming off the PUP list before the season starts. And then I do think Sterling Shepard makes the team. And then Cole Beasley, as funny as that is, but like I think he's a Dable guy. Like Dable likes him. I think he's going to make the team and he's going to play meaningful snaps. So that I don't know because he's going to be the wide receiver seven. And like you really are, you do have overlapping skill sets with Beasley, Shepard, and Wondell Robinson. And I don't know how those snaps are going to be determined. I'm sure someone's going to get injured. Um, but, like, Slayton, Paris Campbell, and Hodgins are going to be the three out there. The most Hyatt has his defined role that no one else kind of brings to the table. And then I really don't know how Wandell, Shepard, and Beasley are going to rotate in. Or, you know, there might be one or one of them is inactive every week. I'm not really sure. But the overall receiver tight end situation is just a better group of players, much faster, um, you know, every everywhere they added, really, not just even receiver, but across the roster, there was an addition of speed and athleticism. If you look back at, like, their draft profiles and just them as a player, like Okarake, um, you know, they brought Slate back. He's fast. Paris Campbell, athletic guy, draft Jalen Hyatt. Jason Pinnock is starting at safety. He's athletic. Deontay Banks, they drafted. Speed and size guy. Even their six-round cornerback that we'll talk about, Trey Hawkins, Total size and speed guy. Um, they just traded for Isaiah Simmons. He's athletic, you know, freak hasn't panned out maybe or lived up his eighth pick of the draft status, but he's an athletic freak. By um, the way, the Giants liked him at four, I remember. Yeah. And they didn't take him. They took Andrew Thomas instead, I believe. Correct? Yeah. We debated offensive tackle or Simmons, and we went with uh, Andrew Thomas. So, like, they've added athleticism and speed all across the roster, and I think that was the big plan going to that. And what I, like, what I like about it is, you know, we've talked about the Giants' cap situation, that they're still paying for the sins of Dave Gettleman, right? And they were able to do a lot of these moves on the margins, which I know you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but it sets them up very nicely long term. 
Yeah, they have. They have. They got out of the cap space situation. You know, Galladay was not able to be cut last year, but was this past offseason. And you've now signed, you know, long term Jones and Dexter Lawrence and Andrew Thomas. You have Saquon back on the tag, which, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But the bottom line is playing on the tag with the best outcome for the Giants. And, um, you know, the next guys up are Xavier McKinney. Maybe they want to see how he plays this year. You know, he's, we think he's good. We think he's really good. But last year was like, you know, nothing special. And then he had that hand injury from the ATV accident in this right. weeks. So, you know, he's, in a, he's on a contract year. He could be a franchise tag candidate. Or do they want to sign him long term? But the cap situation, you're right. Is there a good shape now? And, you know, it took a, an off season or two, but, but shape is you know, nothing but ready for the for the Dodgers. I think Daniel Jones is going to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback this year. I think Darren Waller is going to be a top three fantasy tight end this year. And, you know, I, I think Jones is going to have a better season than your boy Dak Prescott. But I guess we'll, we'll get to that in a second. You mentioned the cornerbacks, right? Deontay Banks was the first-round pick out of Maryland. This uh, The sixth-rounder, uh, Trey, what's his last name? Trey Hawkins. Trey Hawkins. He's slated to start. Um, Adoree Jackson is going to be in the slot. If there was one thing to be nervous about, just in terms of roster construction, is it the fact that they look to be starting two rookie corners? Like, what else makes you nervous about this team? Yeah, so, first of all, just Daniel Jones being a top 10 fantasy QB is not going out on a limb because he was actually QB 9 last year in fantasy, and his weapons are much improved, and he's, and he's in year 2 of Dable, Dable's offense. So... He should be. I want to see him be top. I want to see him be seven, eight, or you know, repeat that top nine. You know, not going to be top five, but give me a seven, eight. Right, but every projection has him outside the top fifteen, basically, yeah. and I think that's crazy. Um, you know, one thing maybe you look at is he maybe doesn't have seven rushing touchdowns this year, but he could. And or if he doesn't, he'll have you know twenty-five passing touchdowns instead of fifteen. So I expect him to have a good season. <coughs> In terms of the cornerbacks, it's funny. This was probably the biggest revelation that took place during training camp was I remember that first couple days where the beat reporters were reporting that the Giants were, like, you know, experimenting with this lineup of Deontay Banks and Trey Hawkins on the outside and moving Adore Jackson into the slot. And then it turned out to be something they were experimenting with every day at practice. And it's like, is this going to be what they do? And, you know, Wink Martindale in interviews has said the three best quarterbacks will play. If they're the three best, Banks and Hawkins, you know, athletic profile or skill set doesn't translate into the slot and they think Adoree could better do that, then that's what they're going to do. And a lot of top receivers playing uh, play the slot. I think my voice just cracked there. But uh, CeeDee Lamb, week one on Dallas, he plays in the slot all the time. Um, you're going to go to Arizona, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, he plays in the slot. Good next week at San Francisco. Debo, he plays in the slot. So I could see them, them using that formation a lot. Is it scary? Yes, I think starting 
one rookie corner is nerve-wracking, let alone both outside corners. You know, cornerbacks are expensive in free agency. Good ones don't really hit too often. The Giants did get one, you know, James Bradbury that time. But basically, you gotta you gotta draft these guys, and it takes. You know, we all saw Sauce Gardner here just have a dominant season as a rookie. We have to remember that is not normal. That was an outlier. And we shouldn't have that as the expectation. Well, I mean, Patrick Sertan the year before also had a monster year. He had a good season. It wasn't like sauce lockdown. But, uh, yeah, like Deontay Banks, I I want him to have a good season. They're going to be tested. They play a lot of really good receivers this year. And Trey Hawkins, like the guy that you now hear when they talk about him, is that Seattle drafted last year, Tariq Woolen, in the sixth round. And he ended up, I don't know if he made the Pro Bowl, but... He was close. He was in the mix. He had a really good year, so could this be the Giants' version of that? Bottom line is, you know, rookie year cornerback is hard. It's hard. It's like, you know, offensive tackle as a rookie. It's like, you know, there's some positions that just take a lot of experience. If if we're talking a year from now and we're expecting both of them to be the starters in 2024, that means things didn't spiral out of control this year and were pretty good. Two or three years from now, the Giants have two good cornerbacks that they drafted at the same time. You know, that's a best-case scenario because cornerbacks are expensive to fill in that need. And Dory Jackson was also on the last year of his contract. Personally, I would like him to extend them for, you know, a few years. He's been injured a lot, so maybe they're apprehensive. But also, they may want to see this year if Trey Hawkins and Deontay Banks are good, you know, they're not going to pay another cornerback well, maybe they'll, they'll sign a lower level one, draft another. But they want to see maybe what they have. In terms of other concerns, I think offensive line, obviously. Is- I was just about to ask you how you're feeling about the offensive line. The defensive line looks good. I mean, that's the strength of the team. How are you feeling about the offensive line? The offensive line is still a question mark. It just is. You have Andrew Thomas is your only sure thing. John Michael Schmidt, second-round pick at center, I'm confident in. But a rookie center, like, not that he can't be good, but you just, like, think about this guy fresh out of college, although he did spend six years at Minnesota, so he is, like, an older rookie. But just going against, like, a Fletcher Cox, a Jalen Carter, uh, you know, the guys on Washington, Payne, like, these guys are beasts, and can he handle that? And then left guard, right guard, and right tackle with Evan Neal are just – they all they've proven to be so far is not good enough. Evan Neal round two, probably the I mean round two going into year two, probably the most important question mark on the team. If he can make a leap for year two, that would be huge. I unfortunately haven't seen that in the preseason that he played one preseason game, but then training camp also, you know, you haven't heard that he's been making this great leap. You know, where it gets beat enough times where you're like, you're, you're holding out hope. That's all you can do. What did you hear, uh, what did you hear, in, I guess compare him to Andrew Thomas going into his second year, who made a monster jump, right? It's hard to remember what Thomas was like training camp of 2021. I do remember his second year, I don't think it was like start to finish better. It was like, I think, there was some time midway through his second year toward the end where he started to play better and you're like, okay, now this guy hasn't been so bad the last few games. So Evan Neal, like, you know, I'm sure 
I'm sure he's going to give up a sack week one to Dallas. I'm sure he's going to give up a sack week three to San Francisco. If we're we're going to be freaking out, oh no, this is not good. I think it's just let's let the year play out. We will reevaluate at the end of the season how he did, improved or not. And you know, if it was just as bad as his rookie year, yeah, that's troublesome. I, I really hope not. You know, if it ends up being a situation where they move him to guard because he wasn't good again this year, then if he becomes a good guard, I'm still okay with it. But we need him to become a good starter on the O-line. Alright, we're going to transition to uh, the NFC preview, uh, previewing the divisions over-unders. Um, I, I did want to ask one quick thing about the Giants, and it kind of blends into what I was about to ask when predicting these over-unders. So, the Giants have a little bit of a tougher schedule. They play the AFC East, and which is the NFC division they play? NFC West. NFC West, which is an okay division. So two things. One, looking at the Giants' schedule, and obviously this changes a lot because as we've documented on this podcast for years is that Whenever you predict something, there's always something weird that happens in terms of the changeover in the divisions and who's good and who's not, who you were expecting to pop that doesn't, and, and vice versa. If the Giants, if you play the you know win-loss game, it, two and four, the Giants' first six games, like you shouldn't be freaked out given what they have coming down the pike. Am I being ridiculous or not ridiculous? I just think two and four is not a great record, no matter who you played. And, like, you don't want to be going into a stretch where it's like, well, at least we have these next five games where, like, could be favored in three of them and, like, should be able to get back to around 500 or whatever. Like, because you're not going to win all those games. And they're, none of these Giants aren't going to have easy games. Week two, even, they play Arizona. Like, and, unless they're just much better than I think, and Arizona's even even worse than I think. Like, I haven't seen really, I guess that they did to the Colts last year, and then, but like, we haven't seen the Giants blow out teams. Like, their wins were all one-score games, essentially, besides for the Colts game. So, the schedule, like, they need to steal some wins where they're not going to be favored, and that starts really for me week one. Dallas is favored, but they play Dallas, and then they play San Francisco week three, Seattle week four, that's not an easy game. Seattle beat them last year. It's Monday night. Then they follow that up at Miami, at Buffalo. Like that they play San Francisco, Seattle, Miami, and Buffalo in a row. I can't just be say like, you know, it's okay if they lose all four. No, you gotta get one of those games. One or two of those games. You gotta get, you know, two of those games. You gotta beat Dallas week one. I, I wanna be I wanna be I said I said to you three and three after six weeks I would be okay with because it means we've won two games that we were not favored to win and so that would be okay that they play the Commanders um, and then the Jets are good you know Raiders Cowboys at Dallas that's not easy New England I know like we don't like them but you're telling me New England is going to be an easy win not at all. I, I am. I think they're going to stink this year. New England might be favored that game at home. Uh, you know, Saints. The last four weeks of the season, the Saints, Eagles, Rams, Eagles. Like, at New Orleans, that's no easy game. So there's not, you know, there's a few games in the past. I think New Orleans is going to be pretty crappy this year. 
I think New Orleans is going to win the division. But we'll, we'll, get we'll get to that in a second. I just think, like, the easy middle of the season where you're talking about is, like, Commanders, Raiders, Commanders in a, you know, a five-week stretch. Like, that's not so easy. They don't play the AFC South. They don't play the NFC. You know, they don't play the, the Carolina Panthers. The, they don't play the Bucks. They don't play the, the Packers. Or they do play the Packers. Um, the divisions they play, you know, you said the NFC West isn't so bad, but, like, it's the, it's the second best division in the NFC, and they already do play the NFC East. So their schedule is hard. I would take maybe a three and three. Two and four, I, I wouldn't feel great about. If they go 0-2 against the Cowboys this year, then it's just like they're not there yet. Right, I agree. I, and that's why I've said week one, you know, maybe not the best measuring stick for a team because so much changes during the season. But it's home. It's a night game. They're coming off a playoff season, like, win that game. Set, set the message that you are not, you're not a best. Well, guess what? I am predicting that they are going to split with the Dallas Cowboys and they're going to split with the Eagles this year. Anyway, so let's let's start with the NFC East, all right? It's the Eagle. I have the Eagles, the Giants, the Cowboys and the Redskins, or excuse me, the Commanders in that order. What say you? Yeah, I don't know if I can continue this podcast. We are where uh, um, I have the same. I have the same order. Now, uh, now with the number. By the way, the numbers are uh, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. So the number for the Eagles. Oh, so before we do that, so when you look at these over/under bets, which everybody likes to do, they're they're, they're fun future bets. Knowing again, as we mentioned before, that there's turnover year after year in terms of who's good and who's not. Like that you thought was going to be good, that isn't. Do you look at the opposing schedule, like, a, do you put a lot of stock into it, or do you just look at the team and be like, listen, if I think this team is a 10-7 and 7 team, I'm going to predict them as a 10-7 and 7 team regardless? I mean, I can't say I look at every team's schedule and that would just take too much time. I just, I see the number and I'm like, what do I think this team is going to be? What division are they in? But I don't like, I'm looking at Jacksonville, I'm not like, what division does the AFC South play and the loser schedule? I get that Vegas does that, obviously, but I, I'm not doing that. Alright, so we'll start, we'll start with the Eagles. The number's 11 and a half. Over, under, what do you say? going to go with over, I am going to go with the over as well. I have them as a slight over. I think they win 12 games. The New York Giants, the number is 7.5. I think we're both uh, in lockstep on this one. Over or under? Yeah, I I would just be so upset if they really won seven games only, so I have to say it. I am going to go over, and this is a lock for me because we're going to do our five locks at the end. This is an absolute stone cold lock. I think they go ten and seven, uh, possibly eleven and six. The Dallas Cowboys, ten and a half, over or under? Yeah, so I'll go under. I'm gonna go under as well. I think it's a slight under. It's a nine and eight team, and the Commanders, six and a half. Um, you know, I I feel like. 
I, and I don't, I hope I'm wrong. Um, I kind of, and, and I don't want to say I was swayed by this playoff game, uh, not preseason game, but I feel like Sam Howell might be not powerful. And we know they have a good defense. The issue is, like the Giants, they play the AFC East and the NFC West, so, and the NFC East. So, like, if they play the Eagles twice, the Giants twice, the Cowboys twice, and the Bills, Jets, Dolphins, and Seahawks, Niners, I don't see them getting to seven. So I'll take them. I have the under as well. If they were in the NFC South, they'd be by far the best team. But that's not the way the cookie crumbles. Moving on to the NFC North. Lions, Bears, Vikings, Packers. What's your order? This one was is uh, was pretty difficult. Um, I don't have conviction, but just because it's my annual tradition, I'll go Vikings, Lions, Bears, and Packers. I am going to go Lions winning the division. I've got the Bears finishing second. I've got the Packers finishing third. And I've got the Vikings sliding all the way down to fourth. So we are opposite on Minnesota. Make the case for Minnesota. They lost a lot of dudes in the offseason. And it's yeah, not I mean, like... Their, their defense is going to be very bad. But I still think Justin Jefferson is the best player in that division. Cousins is good on that team. I think the offense could be very good. But then also, like, Detroit, you know, just like last year there, it's funny, last year Detroit, they were the trendy pick. Everyone was going over, over, over. Then they start, like, two, and I was saying under, like, they're not good. Then they started, like, two and six. And I was like, I knew it. This, they were such frauds. But then they finished, like, you know, eight and two or whatever. And I don't know, I forget what they actually ended up as, maybe eight and nine or something. But they ended up hitting their over. I just... I just feel like they're not ready to overtake Minnesota yet. Um, and then the Bears, like, I like Fields as a fantasy quarterback, but is he going to be good? I don't know. Is the Bears' defense, I can't really name anyone on the defense. They might not be good. If Fields is, like, really not a good thrower, you know, that's going to manifest itself. And Jordan Love, like, I could be wrong. This is just a gut call from the very limited that I've seen that I just don't think he's going to be good. But I'm not, I don't have conviction on anything in this division. So I just went with the one short thing, which is Cousins and Jefferson. All right, so let's play over under. Lions, nine and a half. Um, I'm going to go under. We're going to differ. I have the over. I have them winning the division at 10 and 7. Bears, seven and a half. This is where, like, I like if they're playing the AFC South, that changes things. Um, they're seven and a half. I'll say under. I have a slight over on the Bears. I have them at eight and nine. Vikings, eight and a half. Over. I have a slight under, eight and nine. Packers, seven and a half. Under. I have the under as well. I have the under as well. All right, moving on to the NFC South. Maybe the worst division in football. It's hard to say considering what the AFC South looks like, but the NFC South is brutal. 
How do you see it shaking out one through four? I'm going Saints, Falcons, Panthers, Bucks. So we differ a little bit. I've got the Falcons winning the division, Saints, Carolina, and then Tampa at the bottom. Yeah, the Falcons winning the division. I feel like that's this year's Lions. Like people are picking the Falcons as the trendy pick. Um, I just can't take a Desmond Ritter team to win the division. And I think the Saints defense is really good. Carr is good enough. He's the best QB in that division right now. And I like some of the players the Saints have. I like Olave a lot. Carroll will be back after a few games. Um, and I think the defense is the best in the division also. Do you know what Dennis Allen's career record is as a head coach? Not good. It's very bad. It's it's very very bad. Um, I, I'm just that's I'm not buying that. I think the defense is a little bit older, um, and I don't know. Like I think Arthur Smith may be the best coach in the division, so I'm going to take Arthur Smith. And I think the Falcons have a very talented roster. If Desmond Ritter could just do the minimum, then I, I think the Falcons can win the division at nine and eight and barely be over. They're eight and a half win total. Yeah, I mean, I could see them winning eight. Uh, I guess nine, you know, wouldn't shock me, but um, I'm just, I think, I think seven or eight is more like eight. Win, eight wins may win this division, by the way. Eight and nine may win the division. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I just think, what would the Falcons be, what, eight and a half? Yeah, so we'll start there. Falcons, eight and a half, over or under? Uh, under. I'm going to go slight over at 9-8. and eight. The Saints, 9 and a half. Um, Saints play the AFC South. That's Colts, Texans. I'm going to go over. I am going under. Carolina. This is one of my locks, by the way. 7 and a half. Under. Under. Write it in Sharpie, lock it in. They're going to be very bad. Um, Tampa, six and a half. Over, under. Uh, under. Another one of my locks. Under six and a half. I think Tampa might be in the running for the worst team in the league. Uh, and then we finish it out with the NFC West. Uh, San Francisco who made a trade. Uh, they traded Trey Lance to the Cowboys for a fourth-round pick. We've got Seattle, we've got L.A., and we've got Arizona. Now, I asked you this uh, via text before we get into this. I made the case that the Trey Lance pick for the for the Niners was, one of the wor- was probably the worst pick in NFL history. You said it wasn't. Why would Jamar- Why is Jamarcus Russell worse? Because the next two picks were Calvin Johnson and Joe Thomas. And Jamarcus Russell struggles. Can't, there's no injury possibility to pinpoint as a cause. It's pure talent and like mental um, you know, effort. That all that stuff. That's things you should know before draft. Trey Lance, for all 
you see him as like doesn't loaf, you know, just practices hard, he's a good guy, he just didn't pan out and an injury was a factor. And um, I just think Russell was the worst pick. You want to, however, as I said to you, the combination of a trade up and pick could make it the worst in history in that sense. And the guys drafted after him, by the way. Kyle Pitts, who looks like he's going to be really good. Jamar Chase is already very good. Jalen Waddell is already very good. Panay Sewell, already very good. J.C. Horn shows signs of being good. Patrick Sertan II, very good. Devonta Smith, very good. Justin Fields, a little bit of a question mark. We'll see. Micah Parsons, very good. Rashad Slater has the chance to be very good. Elijah Verrett Tucker has the chance to be very, very good. Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing is the Raiders were bad before the pick and bad after the pick for a long time. The Niners, maybe you say this is not part of the equation, but the Niners have still been very good. Right. Well, that's the crazy thing because this, this blunder should sink an organization for five years. Correct. Correct. But it just goes to show, like, if Brock Purdy wasn't, you know, like a gift from the heavens for them, I, it may have sunk them a little bit. It's crazy. And they drafted very well. Like, they have defensive studs all over the place. Yeah. They, draft, they drafted Debo. They drafted Ayu. They, the Shanahan running game is always good. They have had Trent Williams and other good offensive linemen. Like, just just to show you, drafting well sets you up for such success that you can even overcome such a blunt. And drafting in the in the mid-rounds, if you hit on a couple of mid-round picks, like it's yeah. I mean, it's so huge. Yep. So how do you see this uh, in order? How do you see it unfolding? I have Seattle, San Francisco, the Rams, and Arizona. Seattle winning the division. And I, it's funny thing is, I'm still inclined to think the Geno season was a fluke because we just don't see these situations where a guy was drafted pretty high, he never was fizzles out pretty early, journeyman for a bunch of years, and then lands on a team and all of a sudden has a very good season on a team that was supposed to suck. But yet everything I read about like the advanced metrics or just like he had a legitimately good season like led the league in in completion percentage but it wasn't just like short throws and like the things he did well in should be repeatable so i don't know like seattle i think like yeah if i had you had to put a gun to my head i'd probably say san francisco but just to make it a little interesting, I think it's possible Seattle with the division, so that's what I have San Francisco, Seattle, L.A., and Arizona in that order. I do think Seattle is going to be a playoff team again. Um, but uh, I still have San Francisco winning that division. Uh, I think uh, Kyle Shanahan has proven that um, you know he, he's to be trusted to win regular season games if he has a moderately healthy roster. And I think Brock Purdy, like, is good for them. Like, he's perfect for what they need. And if he's going to be healthy, they have a great roster around him. Yeah, I don't. I really don't want to diminish 
Purdy from what he did last year because it's, yes, he's on a great team, but he's still on a great team, and he played well. I'm just saying, more so, I was just saying, like, with Geno Smith, we haven't really seen these situations. I feel like we have seen some examples, and I'm sure I won't think of any right now, where, like, a quarterback out of nowhere has a really good short stretch, and then when he plays over a longer period of time, he kind of falls back to earth. And so he was a seventh-round pick. He was their third-string quarterback last season. Now teams have a lot of film on him, and it, like, wouldn't surprise me if he came back to earth a little bit and was like, you know, all right, he was a seventh-round pick. I'm just not sure he has to do a whole lot. Correct, correct. No, that's, that's fair. So, and I just, I think their defense is great, and I just think, you know, the Niners are, can make the case, a legit case, that they're the best team in the conference. Yeah, they could. So, so, all right, so the number for the Niners is ten and a half. Um, let's see, they do play the AFC North, which I think is going to be really good. Very good division. You said ten and a half. Um, I'll guess I'll go. I'm going to go over. Um, slight over on them, 10.5. Uh, I think they win the division in 11-6. Seattle, 8.5. I think we're in, in lockstep in this one. I have to go over. I'm over as well, slight over. The Rams, the most interesting over-under bet. Not because I think the Rams are going to be very good, but just because, like, if it goes sideways early, they could be trading off a lot of pieces. So yeah. the, num- the number is six and a half. What do you say? Um, I'm going to go under because they do play Seattle and San Francisco twice, and we just said they play the AFC North. Um, and they also play, from the other divisions, the Saints from the NFC South. That's unfortunate. And then the uh, Packers from the NFC North. And then the AFC is their random game. Is uh, Colts. Okay, so that's lucky. Either way, I just listed off a bunch of hard games. I go under. I don't think, like, I guess it would make sense if, like, especially I think it's Stafford last year, like, trade cup, get some, you know, get a second round pick for him. Um, I just don't know if they would do that. Like, they could trade Stafford if they need to. I don't know how tradable he is. A QB midseason like that, we don't really see that happen too often. And this captain, I feel like, it's going to It's going to – that's going to be an, an interesting one just because the number is – uh, storyline, Detroit is 7-2. Uh, and two. Goff gets hurt for the season. They trade for Stafford. Full circle, but you know what? I'm Team Jared Goff. I think Goff is better than a lot of people think. I'm going to go under as well with the Rams. Um, I think they're going to be selling early, and that number could plummet. And now we have the Arizona Cardinals. The number is four and a half. It's so hard to pick any team to win fewer than four games. But I mean, trying to look at their schedule and who they would be, who they could be, and it's Rams twice, I guess. They'll get a split at best. Let's say a split. You have the Texans. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I'm going to go under. They're, 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 these schedules, the AFC West is a hard schedule. 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go under as well. I did think just because the number's so low that it was a five and twelve team because I don't think you anticipate anybody going like one and sixteen. But Arizona may be that bad, and it's funny. So let me ask you a question because we actually talked about this on when talking about the AFC. I don't know why it came up, but the Kyler Murray situation. Obviously, the contract is is bad, right? It's objectively bad. He's coming off a major injury. If Arizona were to obviously get the number one pick and take a guy like Caleb Williams, right, who's projected to be the number one pick in the draft, who's a taker for Kyler Murray? Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're far down that, we're far away from that. Yeah, of course, but just 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 um, play with me, play with uh, me this game a little bit. Like, Kyler Murray play this year? Does he get in any games? Does he look good for eight games? But they still go, you know, four and thirteen. Assume he doesn't play a game. Assume he doesn't play a game. The whole season. I think. Uh, well, let's say. I don't know. Let's say Deshaun Watson like totally fizzles out. They trade for Kyler Murray. What if? Um, is that what you want to do if you're the Browns? No, I mean, no, I don't think any of these teams would be. A, well, okay, how about a Jordan Love? Doesn't go well, but they end up with seven wins. They don't sign Kyler Murray uh, or trade for him or, or do whatever, get him some low, low thing, let him see if he's now another year removed, see if he can rejuvenate. That's one of the teams that would make sense given Jordan Love's contract situation. Right. Um, the Patriots is another team. And Tampa, but if Tampa's going to have a high pick to take one of these quarterbacks, like like right. Drake May, like they're not in the mix. What about the, the Raiders? This season, they go, you know, five and whatever. Jimmy G is a one and done. But they also, they may be in the same situation as Tampa in terms of, you know, where their draft slide is. I'm just, I'm not sure there are a lot of good fits for Kyle right. Murray. The whole premise, though, is that Arizona gets first pick. So you're assuming those other teams don't get first pick. Yes, that's correct. Yes. But I don't know what the rest of the QB class is. I, there's the guy from UNC, Drake May. Um, I don't know. I think there's one other. I'm not a. I'm not a. Um, an expert, but I just know Caleb Williams and Drake May are probably going to be top five picks. All right. So we went through the over unders. Your five locks. Lock it up. Your favorite bets. Over unders NFC. Who do you have? I'm going to go with the Rams under six and a half. I'll go with Seattle over eight and a half. I'll go with Carolina under seven and a half. I will go with the Giants over seven and a half. And for some reason, I only wrote down four teams. No, you told me to have five ready. So you'll do your four. And then I'll find a fit. Flyer time. Giants over, Vikings under eight and a half, Carolina under seven and a half, Tampa under six and a half, San Francisco over ten and a half. Um. Okay, so I need one more. What was? Who did I say? What was the? Oh, Dallas. I'll go under Dallas. What was that, 
Ten and a half. I'll go Dallas under ten and a half. I don't want to jinx it by putting a lock on it. That's why I didn't do it. But, uh, yeah, so it's exciting times to be a Giant fan, Shine. Really. Like, this is the, this is easily the most excited we've been since doing this uh, this episode. Um, we're obviously going to be talking throughout the year. And uh, I, I really cannot wait for the season to start. And you know me, I always dread the start of football season. The thing is, though, it's like you're saying yes, you're you're excited, and you but you also said a giant starting two and four would be okay, but you can't tell me we're sitting here, you know, mid to late October at two and four, and we are having the same positive vibes that we have right now. It just wouldn't be the case. I'm trying to take a long long term, you know, long view approach here. Uh, again, if if they lose to Dallas and I'm freaking out, like we may have a, a different you know, story, but I'm trying to take a longer view approach here, and I think that it's a team that can easily hit their stride and start playing good football after the first month of the year. They could. It's possible. So, um, are we doing the seven playoff teams? Oh, yeah. Okay. Pick your seven playoff teams. All right. So we have division winners, Eagles, Vikings, Saints, Seahawks. And then wild card teams, Giants. Or I guess I'll go in order. Niners are five. Giants six. And then I am gonna go Dallas seven. And so the NFC East with three playoff teams again. That would set up a round one matchup: Giants at Seattle, and San Francisco at Philly. We'll take the Giants and the Niners. Even though I just went all through a whole thing as to why I took Seattle over San Francisco. Then we have NFC. Oh, you're going full bracket. I love this. This is great. Wait, what happened here? Oh, yeah, the Giants against the Niners. And then who would be the other one? Philly versus someone. New Orleans. All right, so who cares about that? We'll take Philly. Giants beat the Niners. Giants versus Philly in the NFC Championship game. And the Giants are 5-0 and all-time in NFC Championship games. So we'll take the Giants uh, in the Super Bowl to beat Mahomes and the Chiefs. I absolutely love the Kool-Aid. So, yeah, I've got the Eagles, Lions, Falcons, Niners as the division winners. I have the Giants and the Cowboys and Seattle. So we basically – basically uh, a lot of similarities, except we differ on the NFC North winner and the NFC South winner. Um we differ on the NFC West winner, but we have uh, two teams in the playoffs. Shy, this is great as usual. We do this every year. We uh, we love doing this podcast, even when we're, when we're not excited about the Giants. But uh, this year is a reason for optimism. In Dable and Shane, we trust. Are we going to have, uh, if they win week one, a podcast? You know we're going to have, if they win week one, we're going to have a rapid reaction. Yes, Absolutely. The only issue, though, is week two they play Thursday night, and given your uh, timing of podcast releases, we'll probably be all over the Giants, and then they'll lose by the time we uh, Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? We'll deal with that when the time comes. Shy, this is great. Um, thanks so much for doing it. We're going to speak soon. Thanks again to recurring guest Shai Elberger for coming on, for talking about the NFC, previewing the Giants. We both have a lot of expectations. I know it's weird, but we have expectations for this season. Looking forward to it. Also, shout out to him for the tremendous ad read in his Marv Albert voice. 
absolutely sensational. That's episode 222 for the love of the game. Take us out, Fat Joe and Nell. Up in the morning, girl, and the DJ playing that song. Now what you gonna do? listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube